What if I told you there is a cloud accounting ERP system that has over 5 million users worldwide, and this ERP system only has one accounting firm listed in their find an accountant directory for all of North America? I'm guessing you're thinking, it sounds like an opportunity to get new clients and grow your firm. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, Odoo, later in the episode. It's it's not even internal issues, right? People are, are struggling personally. Some of them, like some, some of our team members are agoraphobic because of this whole thing that never were before. We have other team members that didn't believe that COVID was real and have been wondering why our office is closed the whole time, right? Um, and so it's like we're battling both sides of it in, in every direction and effectively just trying to tell people, look, like make the decisions that are right for you. We support you. We have all cloud technology to begin with. So everything you can do, you can do from wherever in the world you think is safe for you. Today is Saturday, June 5th. This is the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. And we are joined today by Liz Mason, CEO and founder of High Rock Accounting, Rebel Rock, editor at Tax Practice News, CEO and founder of Tackle HR. Is there anything more that I forgot to mention? <laughs> Owner of like 50 domain names. <laughs> Zero national ambassador. Wait, I have to click more on your LinkedIn profile. Uh, that's 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 all for the current stuff that you've got online publicly. Yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate that. I mean, you know, a few technology companies here and there, and I think fifty is an understatement of domains. But that's cool. <laughs> it's like a hobby, right? You do, like, um, well, you have to own the domain just in case you want to start the business. And you are a serial entrepreneur, a multi-company entrepreneur. What is your favorite uh, domain registrar, by the way? Hyper Samurai. Ooh, that's a, I haven't heard of that one. Check yeah. that out. That's my that's my favorite domain registry. We also have a company called Phantom Labs, which I like a lot. Liz, you are also in Arizona. We live like 10 minutes apart in Scottsdale. Um, so I actually get to see you in person. This is true. On a regular basis, which is very exciting. And so this is an Arizona episode. We're all here today from Arizona, land of the free, land of the no COVID. It's 8.52 <laughs> land of, in the morning. It's 100 degrees. <laughs> land of cactus and tequila and sweatshops. It's great. Land of the uh, Maricopa County election audit. Oh, God. I've got a story today, <laughs> actually. End. I know. I don't know how much you guys want to go into this if, if you don't want to get too political, but um, there's a tie-in to accounting you know, with this audit, which is uh, the Arizona Republic, which is our you know big paper here in uh, Phoenix, posted an article, and the headline is, is the Maricopa County election audit truly an audit? Here's what professional auditors have to say. So it's like f- asking auditors is this an audit, which I, I thought was interesting. And there's even quotes from like a auditing textbook in the, in the news. <laughs> oh, this is perfect. Yes, cover this. Okay. So the reporter goes to a bunch of different auditors, you know, people who have like actual like financial auditors, um, uh, uh, election auditors and says, hey, is this an audit? Basically, a lot of folks are saying no, <laughs> it is not an audit Mm-mm. because it doesn't meet the formal criteria. Liz, actually, do you ever have an audit background? Like, do you I know? do. I started my career auditing casinos, actually, in Reno, okay. Nevada. So, so maybe you can um, like give us 
your your opinion as a former auditor as to whether or not this is an audit? <laughs> no, it was I think at best it was agreed upon procedures. And uh, those agreed upon procedures were very much weighted in the you will find what we want you to find. And when you don't, we're just gonna make you redo it again and again and again. So it's really uh, in my opinion, not okay. <laughs> and they've gone through how many firms now? I think they're on their third. The so the the big problem that I think everybody is aware of is like auditors are supposed to have objectivity and independence, right? Those are like the two primary criteria. Yeah. And the firm they hired is this IT firm from Florida, I think, called Cyber Ninjas. Right. Which where the founder had made posts prior to the audit on Twitter saying like that election fraud is real. Is that objective? Like, can he be objective? Can he be independent? Probably not. So what's interesting is Deloitte made it into this story. Here's a quote from the article. At least one auditor by trade believes strongly this is an audit. And he also happens to be helping run it. Randy Pullen, a former state GOP chairman who is helping the Senate on audit-related communications, is a certified public accountant and former partner at Deloitte, the national audit and accounting firm. I'm sure Deloitte like was very happy to be mentioned. <laughs> Probably. But I mean, th- it was so sloppy. They even let people take pens like into the room where they were counting ballots that were filled out by pens. How do you prove that nothing was changed? Right. Yeah. At that point, uh, you've kind of screwed up your procedures there, right? So Um, much so that it's invalidated anything that happens next. So there is no right answer. It doesn't matter what audit firm or if they get a legitimate audit firm in there. It's already been, you know, messed up so bad. And I, I, you know, I don't know all the details, but I I do recall something about how the procedures have been changing throughout the audit, Mm -hmm. which is also something you know, that you're not supposed to do, right? If you start a certain type of procedure, you're supposed to continue using the same procedure as you sample. But if you if you change how you're sampling or you change what procedure you're doing, then you can't use that data because you're going to find different things when you change the procedures. Anyway, um, I don't want to get all political about this. I just thought that was interesting. And you know, we're all here in Arizona, so wanted to bring that up. But it's a good story. That link will be in the show notes. So uh, before we get into more news, I, I wanted to... Liz, give you an opportunity to introduce yourself to our listeners, those who are not familiar with High Rock and, and what you do. Maybe you could uh, give us you know, uh, the background. So I appreciate the introduction you did straight off my LinkedIn page. Uh, you know, I think there's always depth to humans, but the depth to me is that I'm passionate about fixing this profession and helping show what we can do and how we can do it better. And also just running a really awesome female-founded firm. And I think that that's a rarity right now to have a majority female-owned firm that's running seven figures and moving up quickly. And you are a CPA? I am. Are you a CPA firm? Yes. Yep. High Rock Accounting is a registered CPA firm. Um, Our ancillary businesses are not registered CPA firms, though. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Client Hub. Are your clients creating bottlenecks in your workflow? Typical workflow systems are built for internal teams only and not clients, leaving your team constantly waiting for client responses. Client Hub is the one and only workflow solution with a client collaboration portal that automates client requests for everything you need to complete your work. Client Hub is built by cloud accountants for cloud accountants, and when you adopt Client Hub's unique combination of workflow and client collaboration, magic happens. They guarantee it. Your team will love powerful checklist workflows. Your clients will love the easy to use Client Hub web portal and mobile app. 
ClientHub currently has an amazing offer just for our listeners. 25% off your first three months by using promo code CAP25. And at the end of three months, if ClientHub hasn't radically improved your productivity, they will refund your money. It's a zero risk way to remove all your blocked client workflows. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash clienthub. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-L-I-E-N-T-H-U-B. So speaking of audit, this kind of ties to a story from last week. Remember last week we talked about uh, Elizabeth Warren and uh, Bernie Sanders want to replace the board at the PCAOB? Yeah, they they did it, right? They did it. They, they, they removed the uh, the director, right? Or is he the act? Uh, he is the... Chair? I, I forget what they call him. Was he the head chair? He, he was the chair. He was the chair. Uh, so William Dunk, Dunkey III, from, they removed him from his position. And now they sworn in Dwayne Desparte. So he's a CPA. So he got sworn in as the acting chair. Right now, it's funny because you know, like you talked about the industrial complex with the PCAOB, and it's just the people from accounting industry insiders go work there, and then they go back to the big audit firms and just kind of move around. So I was, it was interesting because I was trying to see is the old boss the same as the new boss type of a scenario, and so I googled and, and went and read about um, William Dunkey. He's actually a lawyer. He never worked in audit or public accounting at all. Oh. Now they've replaced him though with your industrial complex guy though who worked for uh, Exelon Corporation. He was a corporate controller. Then he spent uh, for 50, he had an 18 career, year, 18 year career in audit. So they replaced him with a CPA who's done audit. So it's goes back to your theory of staffing it with people that have buddies in the industry. Like, well, and, how can you oversight that? And none of this is going to matter if the PCAOB doesn't actually, you know, enforce anything, right? Because we talked in the past about how they'd never find anybody for anything. So what's the point, right? It's it's one thing to embarrass a big four firm by saying your audits are shit, but it's another thing to actually find them for it, which they have the ability to do, but they never do, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Do you guys want to get into tech news? Let's. There's some big app news this week. We could just jump right in. Sure. Yeah. So David, uh, I'm going to lean on you for this one. Into it made big news this week with changes to their pricing. ProAdvisor pricing is changing. Uh, public pricing for end customers is changing. Everything is changing. Uh, what is new? I, I'm not going to try to summarize the changes because it's confusing. And it's always been confusing because there, there's the retail price of QuickBooks Online, right? So if you're you're out and you know, a small business owner just goes to QuickBooks.com, signs up, they get price X. ProAdvisors over time have had different specials. For a while, there was like this five for $5. You could put five clients on for five bucks a month. Then they've always had some sort of wholesale special pricing. And then some ProAdvisors, if they do the billing under their firm, that's a different price than if they have the client pay the price. So it's very confusing. And I don't want to get into the details of it because I know I'll screw it up. There's some blog posts we'll have in the links directly from Intuit. Uh, There's a good write-up on Insightful Accountant. But in general, a lot of the... um, any new subscriptions or upgrades or downgrades, so any any plans that you change for a client, the price is going up like 10 bucks a month. That's probably the best summary I could have. Um, it's a little bit more for QuickBooks Advance. It's like 30 bucks a month. It's going from like 150 to 180. Well, the, the wholesale discount is going away. What at a certain for new subscriptions after July 15th. So currently, if, if you're on the wholesale plan, you can get 50% off QBO, QBO payroll, QBO time. But after July 15th, if you sign up a new client, it's only going to be um, 30% off. 
And then they're changing the name of it to something called ProAdvisor Preferred Pricing Program. Which is PAP as the acronym. <laughs> or it's a, or it's a it's a PPP. P. It's four P's. <laughs> well um that's the episode title. Intuit launches PPP program. PPP? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> There, there was a lot. I don't know, uh, David. You're more in tune with the whole like Intuit world. Well, people, right? I mean, so, so I try to digest this a lot because people are exploding on you know Facebook and dude, you're getting upset. And I was like, all right, I need to kind of get the vibe of what's going on. Mm-hmm. So I start googling and I'm researching. You know, on Facebook, I'm searching for uh, QuickBooks wholesale price increase. So I'm you know I'm dropped into and I start reading these Facebook threads. And let me read you some comments, right? Okay. Um, Several of my clients won't like the increase. They struggled with the last ones. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if some of my clients switch. Uh, I'm getting pretty fed up with Intuit, but switch to what? They're better off with the QuickBooks desktop version. Um, This is a good one. Disappointed for sure. They will price themselves out of the market and people and pro advisors will start looking for other solutions because they know their small businesses can't continue to afford the price increases and the pro advisor can't continue to absorb it. I will certainly look into hosting desktop version and move my clients onto this. It might be less expensive for them. So if you can tell, people are really, really pissed off. And this is a thread from May 16, 2018. It's the same thread as the current <laughs> threads right now. It's the same stuff. Oh, God. It's the same stuff. Exactly the same. I guess, you know, QuickBooks Intuit is so dominant in the small business accounting market. I think that survey that we talked about last week in uh, CPA Practice Advisor showed that Intuit has 70% or more market share among small firms for online accounting, for desktop accounting. And so that's why they can do this, raise prices every year, every couple of years. I guess they were going to do it last year, but they delayed it because of uh, COVID. So like until there's more competition in the United States, until people start actually like trying other software, like this is going to keep happening. That's what I don't get. There is competition. And I've been seeing a lot of those posts, David, where people are saying, maybe I'll actually try zero now, (laughs) (laughs) which I think is hysterical. But yeah. And And, so go ahead, David. Yeah. I have some part of me like wonders what isn't do it thinking. Like I get it. Like you're in the dominant position, keep raising prices. You have the right to do it. But I also think like there's more competition than there I've seen in 25 years for QuickBooks that space. And it's not zero. We'll get into the other news. Like we'll talk about bench here later on. And you know, we talk about these neo banks every week that are, you know, everybody's attacking QuickBooks from all fronts. I mean, bill.com now owns a cloud accounting software package, right? Shopify basically just invested in an accounting firm. The amount of competition for QuickBooks is an all time high. I mean, if I, I think if I was into it, I'd actually go the other way on this. I would double down on just locking pro advisors in for the next decade. Right, but that's a strategic thought that would increase profits in the long term and not make shareholders happy in the short term. This is the quarter by quarter revenue growth because I'm sure the subscription numbers aren't growing as fast as they used to. Even for Zero and QuickBooks, it's slowed down a little because you can't keep that. Yep. You know, you can't keep adding 100,000 users every quarter, quarter over quarter over quarter. So you have to raise revenue to show your quarter to quarter numbers. So there's more other impacts of this. You know, I've talked to some accountants and bookkeepers are very upset because they have to redo all their um, engagement letters and their pricing models, right? Oh, yeah. And it, it costs you money to send out 100 new engagement letters and get all your clients to sign them. Well, right? and what we for like a- automated your for $10 a month. Right, so a $10 price increase. Now you have to, well, yeah. there's got to be a better way to do that, right? Like when I had my engagement letters, I think we had a, a 
we didn't have to send out a new engagement letter for every single like small price increase. We made that like something that we could just do. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. We build it in. So we never tell what we're actually paying for software because clearly accountant prices are not published anywhere. And it's hard enough for us as accountants to figure out what the heck we're paying for software. And so we build in, you know, a buffer in there as well. But then we also build in regular price increases. So we have, you know, a caveat on our engagement letter saying, you know, cost of living and regular economic increases are going to happen annually. And we just kind of assume that the price increase of software will be one of those things that increases and we increase our prices for it. And in the meantime, we have a buffer. So I think that most pro advisors tend to not absorb the price. They actually bill it to the client and they'll bill them the the retail price. So the pro advisors really like getting that 50% discount which is going away because they're they're capturing the difference. But I think a lot of them pass that on directly to their clients. They use it as like, "Hey client, I'm going to get you a sweet deal on QuickBooks." Oh. And I, I don't think they're using it for a margin. Okay, so now that so because of that because they're just passing it on as, at cost, they now have to go and change all of their billing. Mhm update their invoicing. But like, Liz, you are saying that you don't do that. You just absorb the cost of the software into your overall package. Yeah. So when we're pricing, we just assume, you know, 100 or 200 bucks for software, depending on what we're setting up for them. And then we build in regular price increases because we expect all of the costs are going to increase, not just software, but salaries and, you know, utilities and our our actual physical office and price of computers, all of that. Yeah, I think that makes a lot more sense. Because the client, if they're hiring Hyrock to do their accounting and tax and whatnot, mm-hmm. they don't care about how much the software costs. No. No. And if they do, they're probably not the best client for us. And that's where it's, it, I mean, if you're creating your pricing model, maybe, maybe use you go through this exercise, because obviously this keeps happening, going by ProAdvisor post on Facebook from three years ago. Figure out what you think it to, it's going to charge for QBO three years from now. And build your pricing model about around that. So basically, like even myself, like I know right now I'm paying $70 a month for QBO. I have full expectations that three years from now, somehow I'm gonna it's gonna creep up. I'll be paying a hundred dollars a month for QBO, and there's nothing I can do about it. That's in- I'm not gonna switch, it's too much work. That's insane though, David. Like this, and this is what I don't understand is like you've got people who are paying, I don't know, fifty to a hundred dollars for accounting software where like they could just use they could use something much less expensive. Like I think a lot of people who use QuickBooks are, it's that old thing where people would sell QuickBooks Enterprise to companies that don't need it, right? Mm -hmm. Like like there's so much of that going on. Oh, constantly. Well, and I bet you we could get you the same functionality, David, on zero for half the price. There you go. I look at the prices now and it's almost, it's almost twice as much. Yeah. So the core business one for zero is like 32 bucks a month. Yeah. And And then the opposite is true though. My understanding is in Australia. QuickBooks is like way cheaper. Yeah. And Zero keeps raising the prices there. Right. This is what the number one player does. Yep. And this, well, so this when is, you control the market, you can set the price. Uh, so this is why like I just I wish there was more of a balance on both sides of the ocean where we had, you know, a little more equal situation and, and maybe prices would be <laughs> more sensible. That's a very altruistic view. <laughs> if you think about it, maybe QuickBooks is still cheaper. You look, a lot of the competition, if, and we'll go into this next, I guess our next kind of news article or the other big news of the week is Bench. But Bench, their fees are starting at $249 a month to $479 a month. Now, yes, it's a little bit more full of accounting package. Well, they're, they're selling services in addition yeah. to software. But what do you think Intuit sells? 
they get QuickBooks Live. Like they, I think this is a march to get Intuit. Probably feels like they're underpriced right now. Still, there's probably another hundred dollars they could increase. Probably given their market position. Well, let's talk about that. Let's get into Bench and their huge funding round and what you consider, David, to be the true threat to Intuit and QuickBooks. It's not another GL package. It's a GL plus a service. These, uh, what do we call them? Uh, Accounting firms with engineers? Well, I don't even know if they're the true threat, but I mean, that's the, between these accounting firms with engineers that are doing the full end-to-end, which is kind of what Intuit wants to do with QuickBooks Live in a weird kind of way. But then you have all the banks. Like everybody is adding a GL, right? And that's the bigger threat. I mean, in a way, like I could see QuickBooks and Zero, you know, being partners, cooperative, mm. because they're, the threat outside of those two is I've never seen anything like this before. And Bench is the latest example. They just took $60 million. $60 million in a Series C. And that's $60 million US, I should say. Uh, because they are based in Canada, I think Vancouver. Um, and there was a big name among the investors, actually a few big names. Yeah, a few. Right? Really surprising. Normally, the, you know, we've had what Ashton Kutcher <laughs> invest in, uh, what did he invest in? Was it Pilot? Collective. That was oh, Collective. Collective. Jeff Bezos was in Pilot. 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 So Bench just raised money from Sage and Shopify. And they kind of got in bed with a little bit with FreshBooks more. FreshBooks is are the, is FreshBooks an actual investor in this? I didn't it, that I couldn't tell. Maybe they're a silent investor in the past. I, that I don't know because Bench is is kind of has always been historically proprietary. Right, they built their own cash basis accounting software, but I think they like recommend FreshBooks for invoicing. I think they've had an integration. I just I think that is true. I, and I think the other side, it's like a, more of a marketing partnership. I think on the other side, as customers outgrow FreshBooks, I think they're having an agreement to send them to Bench. So I kind of feel like this is the Canadian supergroup, right? You've got Shopify, mm. FreshBooks, and Bench all collaborating together now. Oh, I didn't put that together. It's the, the Canadian accounting army. And, and, and if you think about this, Shopify, remember we talked about Intuit tried to buy big commerce yeah. before? Shopify has now owns an accounting firm or owns a part of an accounting firm. Wow. So what's next? Shopify could just, like we've said, and I mean, Hector Garcia said this two years ago, and I still think it might happen one day is Shopify just buys FreshBooks and they're all in. And these are the threats that are really the biggest thrown to it. Uh, Square launching a GL. These are major, major threats. And so it's like, if, if you already own the accountants and bookkeepers, why not just own, lock them up for 20 years? Here's your pricing for the next 20 years and they'll never use any of those other services. It's just, that's what's crazy about the price increases. I don't get it. So it's interesting because didn't it say that they did the raise to actually build out some banking products to be a full end-to-end small business suite? Yes. So they're they're launching a product called uh, Bench Core, and that's going to give a free business bank account and debit card, which I actually think because uh, what's it? the one that went under Scale Factor did this. Didn't Botkeeper mm-hmm. say they're kind of having some sort of card out now as well? I think and, Botkeeper, and, and, yeah, Bar- Botkeeper did a partnership. And it makes sense. And and I think uh, Receipt Bank's got something in the UK they're doing. And it makes sense. And, and this is why Intuit's launching their own bank. Because if you can control the the spending card in the bank account, now you really can automate those transactions. But when it's coming in from 20,000 different banks and 10,000 different credit cards, it's very, very difficult. But exactly. But you, you can put everybody on one standard data input, now you really can automate and scale this stuff. Here's the quote from the press release. 
The fundraise coincides with a major relaunch of Bench's product offering. Launching today, Bench now offers a first-of-its-kind integrated offering that includes banking, cards, payroll, full-service bookkeeping, taxes, and advice in a single streamlined software and service offering for small businesses. Customers can now spend on their bench cards and see real-time updates to their profitability and cash flow, which flow into the customer's accounting and end-of-year tax filings. That is a, like quite an offering if they can pull that off. Yeah, if it works well. If it works, right? <laughs> that's always the question. But like, that's the sort of thing that you know firms can do, right? Like Liz, you do a lot of this stuff for your clients at High Rock. Yeah, we just partner with people to do pieces of it. But yeah, we streamline our tech stacks, so we're doing the same thing. But then we also build our own custom integrations frequently. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Odoo. I was checking out Odoo the other day, and sure, it has all the typical features you would expect in a highly customizable cloud ERP system, including dozens of built-in modules and thousands of third-party apps. But one of the built-in app modules really caught my eyes. It's a spreadsheet, but not any spreadsheet. It's a spreadsheet that is built directly into the accounting system. By using Odoo's built-in spreadsheet module, you can model and manipulate your data and it instantly stays up to date without any exports or integrations. It's crazy powerful. Imagine a sales rep updating a projected sale amount in a CRM module and having instantly reflected in your spreadsheet. The accounting and invoicing modules are always free, so there's no reason not to give Odoo and the spreadsheet module a try today. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Odoo. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash O-D-O-O. Unleash your growth potential with Odoo. So what what kind of custom integrations do you guys do? Well, we work with a lot of tech startups and other companies that have proprietary software. And then we just build the integrations on the revenue side mostly. So pulling in all the transactional detail, making sure we're we're recognizing revenue for gap standards and, you know, automating all the API polls. So it's happening in real time versus, you know, us having to go into their proprietary software and pull out all the revenue numbers. That probably saved you guys a lot of time. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's great. And the clients think it's amazing because before they come to us, they're trying to do it manually. Right. Pulling it into spreadsheets, I guess, right? Trying to figure out, you know, what, how much did I make this month? Exactly. Or like stacked Google Sheets. It's terrible. <laughs> so, like, did you see anywhere if they talked about the uh, valuation of this race? Um, I couldn't find it. I was searching I for find it yesterday. So, Bench has 11,000 U.S. small businesses right now. Is that current clients? Current clients. Wow. They say. That's a lot. And what's their average price, do you think? Probably a few hundred um, bucks a month. So they're saying fees range from 249 to 479 per month per client. Uh, there's another article that I found that had some int- other interesting numbers. So they've been able to triple the clients per bookkeeper to nearly 70. And I remember I talked to their founder in four years ago and they were pushing about 35 to 40. Yeah. And so they've, you know, they're up to 70 and they think they can push it up to 100. Uh, interesting. Um, and you could possibly, if you own the bank, if that client uses your bank account, right? you probably could push this up to that. If you, And then you put all your clients on the same exact bank account and standardize across the board. 
Um, but you know, that's, yeah. that's a dream, but like realistically, yeah. Are you going to get all of your clients onto a, the same bank? No, probably not. Right. And this is where I bring up the, the, the valuation because the story they're telling right now is very similar to pilots. Remember pilot three weeks ago, four weeks ago was like, Oh, this is about we're a human company, mm-hmm. human verification. Yeah. Same thing. Bench is playing up this like, but it's human bookkeepers also review the discrepancies and review the statements before they're sent to customers. And so this goes to that valuation and the scaling. You can't have software margins with humans involved. You can't be a 90% margin company. It just like Uber and WeWork and everybody else. If you have humans doing a lot of the work. Yeah. Unless you can, if you have to hire them yourself, right. And that's what Bench does. Bench actually hires these bookkeepers. They're not contractors. They're employees. So if they have high employee turnover, that creates client turnover. The, the question is, can they keep the growth going, right? Can they turn it into or bend the curve as we like to say in software, right? Can they just make it go exponential? And nobody's figured out how to do that yet. One thing, and I don't know if it's still true today, but I, my understanding the way bench, bench was before is you have your bookkeepers and your engineers sitting basically in the same room. De- they're a desk apart, sitting next to each other. So if you have some problem with the client and you're like, okay, Every day this week, I've had to redo this manual work. You turn the engineer and then they just won't automate it. Right. And so then I started thinking about like QuickBooks Live, like the disconnect, right? There's engineers doing this and you have the pro advisors doing their work, but the the loop cycle to, to get QuickBooks to automate things faster is just going to be slower because that they're not hiring him in house. And I think that could be a, a winning factor for somebody like Bench. The fact that that loop is closed. There's not that delay between the bookkeepers doing the work and the engineers automating the work. Right. They have a more flexible organizational structure versus something that's already established and siloed. But we'll see. Like I said, uh, this is a, you got Stripe now having an accounting firm. FreshBooks is now getting in bed with these guys. Now, the other one is I, I didn't see anything, but the other big company that's in Vancouver is Clio Law Firm Software. And Clio is kind of launching that version. We've talked about this two years ago, like that version of a QuickBooks Live, but kind of for legal. Right, like, hey, I have a legal problem. I go through Clio's some sort of search engine. They drop me into a lawyer. I just show up right inside the lawyer's CRM, and then that CRM connects to Clio law firm software to my firm. The next step would be, oh, here's your bookkeeper and accountant in your bank account law firm, just straight out of the box. Like, I would not be surprised. I mean, they're neighbors, right, in Vancouver. If mm. the next announcement we kind of see now on this front is where Clio gets in bed, and like. I mean, it's this cloud accounting supergroup up there in Canada, you know, catching the full the full end-to-end workflows on these niches. We will see. We will see. Well, w- we've been talking about Zero a little bit, and Zero just came out with their uh, special report about the global economic recovery and small business. And Liz, as a national Zero ambassador, I believe you have some insight into the U.S. numbers on this report. Yeah, so it's actually really interesting. Zero's been pulling data from Australia, New Zealand, the UK, like straight out of their software to create these insights reports. And they're starting to do it with the US, but they're not full-fledged yet. (laughs) So this year, they partnered with Gusto to get a bit more insight into what was happening. And so it was actually, it was really interesting. So we saw particularly they broke out the accounting uh, sector. So for 
accountants across the country, it looks like there were decreases every month last year from March through October, which we expected. But then there were pretty significant increases. So starting in November last year, we started an uptick and it went from like 1% to 1.5% to 4.5% to 6% growth month over month by February. So the data we have is through February. Um, But we were seeing in the accounting sector 6% growth of firms in February, which is insane if you really start thinking about that. Of course, like across the other industries in the U.S., there were pretty significant decreases, except when you're looking at healthcare. Um, Other professional services went down as well. Technology went up. The hardest hit, no surprise, food and beverage. Mm -hmm. And it was still decreasing at the beginning of 2021, which is pretty sad. But then I also have the state over state data, which is it is really interesting because I was looking at it from like a blue versus red state to try and see if there were any political ties mm-hmm. there. And quite frankly, there's not. Like a lot of the South decreased continuously, even though it's, you know, was mostly open. Um, and then a lot of the traditionally, uh, well, I mean, we all saw pretty significant decreases in population and in business growth in, in some of the really strict states like California and New York. Mm-hmm. Um, but outside of those, it wasn't. It was pretty consistent across the board with ups and downs. So basically, you're saying that nationally, accountants did pretty well. Yep. And it didn't seem to matter which state they were in. Correct. Right. Well, I guess that makes sense. Um, like firms were able to operate pretty much wherever they were because everybody went remote. Mm-hmm. Pretty much everybody went remote uh, wherever they were in the country. Yep. Like there was no reason to go to the office, even if you could in your state. Yeah. Um, the question was, you know, were our clients going to be okay? But like, this is why accounting has always done well in recessions is because even when the economy is bad, like you don't tend to fire your accountant first. <laughs> right. Well, and even the accountants that were brick and mortar, most of them weren't shut down. And a lot of them figured out eventually how to work remotely. Th- this ties in well with another report that I saw this week. The Association for Accounting Marketing partnered with Hinge Research Institute and did a survey. It's called the 2021 to 2022 AAM Marketing Budget Benchmark Study. This was featured in an article on Accounting Today. And the headline is, nearly half of firms say COVID-19 spurred innovation and growth. Almost half, 45% of firms, say the COVID-19 pandemic has had an overall positive effect on them by accelerating key tech and process innovation within their offices. That's the first sentence of this this article. Only 45% say this? I mean... See, that doesn't actually surprise me at all. Because if you look at the innovation curve and where people sit, that's the 45% that were sitting right in the middle that hadn't really innovated, right? Because the top 20% are sitting there going, yeah, I mean, this didn't change anything. And the bottom 20% are saying, I'm not changing. I refuse to. Yep. So it's the middle. Yeah, it was. And that's exactly right. 22% of firms said the pandemic had no impact on them. And I'm guessing those are the firms that were already in the cloud, yep. able to work virtually. Um, then we had those 45% who said it was very positive. And then 33% about said it was an overall negative impact. And this was a survey of 140 CPA firms with over 23,000 staff members and total revenues exceeding $6.7 billion. So a pretty good sample. And I'd be sitting in that 33%. I think 
everything that happened in the last year and a half and just the emotional take that it told it that it took on my team in general, I think decreased our growth really? in terms of innovation and technology. Yeah. We effectively battened down the hatches on tech and said, okay, guys, like we're going to keep everything as static as possible because there's so much change happening outside of the firm that right now is not the time to implement new technology. We need to support our humans from like an emotional and a physical and a health standpoint versus trying to get them to think bigger and change. So that's interesting. So while a lot of firms were implementing new tech because they had to, to go remote, you just said, look, we're freezing what we're doing with tech and we're just going to deal with the human element now. Yep. So how did you handle that? I mean, you have a physical office in Scottsdale. We do. You are a virtual firm. Mm -hmm. How do you balance? I mean, how did you balance everybody being in quarantine and keeping up the culture in your firm? Because I, I know you have a strong culture. We do. It was hard, honestly. We had our first in-person event for the people in Arizona this yesterday, actually, uh, which was quite fun, and it was really nice to see everyone and get that relaxed vibe. Um, but you can't, you can't really fix culture when everybody is emotionally drained from a global pandemic, right? <laughs> like it's, it's not even internal issues, right? People are are struggling personally, some of them, like some some of our team members are agoraphobic because of this whole thing that never were before. We have other team members that didn't believe that COVID was real and have been wondering why our office is closed the whole time, right? Um, and so it's like we're battling both sides of it in, in every direction and effectively just trying to tell people, look, like make the decisions that are right for you. We support you. We have all cloud technology to begin with. So everything you can do, you can do from wherever in the world you think is safe for you. Um, and, and really just try to bring in more of our, like we have a coach on our team that does wellness programs and help with nutrition and helps with workout. And he was doing a lot of what are body weight at home workouts you can do and how can we come together in just cool little ways to try and preserve that culture. But I do have to say it was from a culture perspective, really, really rough this year. Um, and we do have about half our team remote at all times. While you froze the technology, you were still hiring at a blistering pace, right? Yeah, we, we had about four new hires start between March and April of last year. So right as the pandemic was hitting. And so it was really hard to kind of onboard them as we're trying to figure out new onboarding procedures and, and what we're going to do without having, you know, somebody in the office to actually like receive the computer and set it up. So where does it go? Does it just get shipped to their house and they have to set it up? Do we like ship it to an IT person somewhere else? All of that we were trying to figure out. So Liz, how are you hiring people? Because I think that's a big thing we see over and over again is I see post after post, like, I can't hire people. I can't find people. And, and you know, every feels like everybody I'm friends with on LinkedIn or Facebook is posting. They have an open position at their firm. Yeah. Like, not all of you can hire people all. Like, how are you able to, how are you bringing people in? How are you hiring people? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, there. first off, there's a talent shortage. Just flat out, there's talent shredded. We've had an open position for a technology, or non-technology, sorry, a tax manager for like a year now. And it's just there's a huge shortage and we're not getting the right applicants or finding the people that we need. And so we're doing without, which is not the best answer either. Um, but on the accounting side, it's actually been a little easier. And I think partially because we have so many people that know so many people on our team. And that's helped a ton because effectively we go to our exec team and say, hey, here's the upcoming needs like resource management wise for the next six months. Go 
recruit, like put it out on social, put it out wherever you put it out into the universe and ask people to come hang out with us. And we've been getting a lot of just people coming to us. So we have a stack of resumes we go through. Um, But it's harder at the higher level. We're great at hiring bookkeeper levels. We're great at hiring, you know, maybe five to six year advisors that have maybe run their own little bookkeeping shop and don't want to do it anymore. Uh, What we're struggling with is really high level people. And so that's where I would say the shortage lies. But, But we come in and we have a great HR team. They do a lot of promotion and I also have a list. Like that's the other thing that that I do with people that I know through the industry, people that I've worked with prior. So kind of like your domain list. You you just buy the domains knowing one day I might start that business. You have a list of people you plan on hiring three years from now. You already have your list. Oh yeah, absolutely. I have a whole list of people that I want on our team. You and your world domination (laughs) plans. Um, But I I mean, I've gotten out of the people that have been on my list, we have seven of them employed currently. So I mean, it's a pretty good recruiting tactic, but I also make our entire executive team do that. And they put together a list of these people that they want on our team and slowly plant the seeds and say, hey, when you're done with your current job, like call me first. That is smart. Planting the seeds for the future hires. Some more takeaways from uh, this survey. Average marketing budgets grew 100% from 2019 to 2020. Wow. 85% of firms also said they utilized new marketing and business strategies during the pandemic, with 69% citing a success with those. The shift to a digital marketplace also helped some firms reach an average median growth rate of approximately 32%. So the firms that were able to embrace digital marketing, right, get away from the in-person networking did very well, it sounds like. Yeah. So we grew, I have these stats because I've been working on a pitch deck. Uh, We grew 41% between 2019 and 2020, and that was our slowest growth year by far, by far. Um, And part of that was us just taking care of humans and not hiring. So we were very selective. 41%. Wow. 41%. Yeah. That's a lot for a professional services. Yeah. Well, when the average is like 6%, it is. Um, But for our team, it's not. Actually, our average over the last seven years has been 69% growth. And the year before that, we grew uh, like 100 and something percent. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Rewind. Imagine if a meteorite wiped out into its server. It's extremely unlikely, but if it did happen, Intuit would be able to restore all your data and everyone else's that was lost. Rewind has built a backup solution for data loss situations that are way more likely to occur to your client's data. Malicious attacks, buggy apps, disgruntled clients, and of course, ourselves. Human error, the number one reason people lose data. Say goodbye to making manual copies of clients' files, CSV exports, or storing redundancies on hard drives. Rewind is introducing a new way of protecting your data through an automated daily backups and on-demand controlled data recovery. As the leading cloud backup app trusted by over 80,000 organizations around the globe, Rewind has saved thousands of accounting professionals from mind-numbing manual data entry rework. To learn even more about Rewind and access a special offer just for listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash rewind. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash R-E-W-I-N-D. So you said pitch deck. What are you? What are you pitching? Oh yeah. So <laughs> a few things actually. Um, so working with 
uh, for High Rock and Rubble Rock, we're working on our nucleus program, uh, which is effectively seeding baby accounting firms. And to do that, we need some capital. And then we're also separately in a completely side company for the tax department. We're working on a raise to build out some technology. Got it. And and High Rock is the CPA, traditional CPA firm. Well, it's not yep. not traditional, but it's the most traditional. <laughs> it is a CPA firm. It is firm. a CPA firm. And, <laughs> Accurate. And then Rebel Rock is the cannabis uh, focus exactly. Group. Yeah. So Rubble Rock is cloud accounting to the max, mostly advisory CFO. Um, but then- But that should be Kai Rock. That doesn't make any <laughs> sense to me. I know. Our High Rock brand was already established when we decided to really go hard on the cannabis vertical. Um, and it was too, like everything was a little too traditional for the cannabis space, which is funny considering from the accounting space, when people look at High Rock, they're like, oh, you guys are really cutting the edge here. Some of this isn't quite appropriate. Um, um, but it was too traditional for cannabis. So we had to rebrand into Rubble Rock to really serve that segment right. And, and what kind of, if you can share, what kind of tax software uh, stuff are you, or tax, tax tech are you thinking about building? Yeah. So, I mean, I think similar to what we're seeing with some of the accounting side is that people are trying to build end-to-end software solutions, including all the banking and controlling the transactions to be able to code all that in. And so effectively, what, what we want to do on the tax side is start with something small like really good OCR for individual tax records, mm. really good tax planning, you know, and building out an engine where we can pull all of the information from general ledgers in there, do the tax conversion, because we all know like most businesses actually need some tax adjustments or tax positions are not the same as their book positions. Um, and then have that come through on a regular basis to see it and ultimately build out, you know, a full cloud tax software, but with the firm in mind. And so thinking about how do we integrate this into what what tools they're already using, where the data is coming from, um, but make it API first and completely API open, which is not what any of the tax softwares do right now. You have to pay an arm and a leg to get access to the API, which is very limited in most cases, if it exists at all. And none of them are truly cloud-based um, unless you're looking at, at, at the Intuit one, which you can't integrate anything other than Intuit products into. So it's a very incestuous tax program. And it doesn't do a lot of the stuff the professional services firms need. So this is solving the book-to-tax workflow. Is that is that right? Partially. Partially. Um, that's just a small piece of it. Um, but the the bigger piece is really the having end-to-end flow. And like a lot of this is going to circle around state, um, state and local taxes, considering as we're entering this more global and people being all over the place and having economic nexus rules that nobody knows about and filing requirements in 25 states instead of one for a small business. A lot of that built right into it based on the activity happening inside of their their accounting software. Well, that is cool. It, it's it's like every every modern accounting firm I talk to, Liz, like yours, is is talking about building software. And then we've got all these software companies talking about well building, building accounting, accounting firms. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it makes sense though, because to train the robots, you need the data, and you need the people that know how to use the data. So right now, that's accountants. And so it really does make sense because we have, you know, with the tax department, we're doing outsourced tax for other accounting firms. That's what we do, right? That's the service line. And so we're, we're raising capital to actually build out software to make that whole experience so much better. 
And then it elevates the the accountants into that real advisor role where they don't have to be the ones going in the back end, data entering things, forcing it to be right, recalculating things on a calculator because the tax software doesn't do it right. So I have a story we kind of tie in. It's from so it's Sage. So let's just keep you know perspective on this. It's their survey. It's called the Close the Book Survey. They polled more than 1,600 finance and accounting professionals. And, and 60% of them said the close process takes over a week. And mostly because, you know, it's spreadsheets and data imports, exports, those types of things. But the interesting thing I thought that I saw in the data was they talked about 40% of the organizations have invested into trying to speed up closing the books, right? And they've either invested in headcounts or new technology. So this is what you want to speed up the closing. You mm-hmm. either hire some bodies or you invest in technology. Mm -hmm. The firms that just chose to invest in technology closed their books 25% faster than the firms that just added more Mm -hmm. headcount. And probably- I thought that was just an interesting stat from that survey. Yeah, makes sense. I mean, and that's what people have been doing for forever. It's like you just throw people at it, right? Yeah. Uh, Work in a big company, you need to to, um, do bank recs, just hire somebody to do just bank recs. They might be miserable, but the job will get done, right? Maybe. (laughs) I mean, and this is the bet of Pilot and Bench and Botkeeper and everybody else, right? That's everybody's business while this VC money is going into this. The bet is if you throw enough tech at it and engineers at it, you can be that much more efficient. But I, I don't know. I still only buy into you can get to 85, 90% there and you're still going to have that. It's that extra 10% of everything is hard. That's the that's why it's called work. Right. <laughs> right. But I part. think it also is a scale because if you look at the smallest businesses, you can automate a whole lot more than the largest businesses, right? And the complication as they get bigger just increases. And so a lot of these, you know, pilot bench thoughts are geared at sole proprietors that are cash basis everything. So guys, uh, we're getting close to the end of the show and we got a voicemail message and I want to make sure that we play that and and offer some insights because there's a, a good question here. Hey guys, this is Joe in Los Angeles. I just discovered the show recently and I'm totally obsessed with it. Great work. Um, I'm building a new practice and we're looking for a GL for the tech stack. And since David is new to zero and you guys just transitioned to zero, I was curious if you have any uh, initial impressions, specifically, David, about HubDoc, and also if all have long-term impressions about it, because uh, my partner and I have been doing some uh, demo of it for several weeks, and it totally sucks, and I struggle to find anything good about it. I would love to be wrong about this, um, but, uh, yeah, that's my question. So, anyway, love the show. Thanks again. Take care. And by the way, I don't know if you intentionally made um, your phone number end in 1040 uh, or not, but if you if you did, then well done. Thanks. Bye. We did intentionally make <laughs> the phone number end in 1040, and I'm so glad somebody noticed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, David, I guess that question was aimed at you because you are a new user of Zero. I forced you to to learn it. And of course, HubDoc is bundled with it now. Perhaps we could open that up to Liz as well. I mean, I, yeah. So specifically on HubDoc, like I have not specifically used it with Zero, right? But if I can speak at a higher level, you know, you have your data capture, you have your HubDocs, your auto entry, who I'm very familiar with. You have your receipt bank, which is now Dex mm-hmm. Prepare, right? And then you look at QuickBooks who are building their own. You can, you can just send your docs right to QuickBooks. It's built in. Like fundamentally, you could argue that data capture should just be a fundamental 
piece of the accounting system. Yes. Right. Just built in. And I think the writings on the wall is very clear. This is why Sage bought auto entry. This is why Zero bought mm-hmm. HubDoc. QuickBooks chose to build their own, you know, software. They're building with their, their, themselves in-house. And then you went, that kind of leaves like Receipt Bank is kind of the only kind of independent. I mean, there's a lot of other competitors out there that do a very similar thing. But I think, you know, auto entry and Receipt Bank, they've been at this mm-hmm. for like a decade. Right? It takes 10 years to get good at scanning all the line items of a bill and putting the correct departments and classes and those types of things. It's, it's, everybody can scan a receipt. That's easy. You, 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 there's 10,000 apps in the Apple store that can do that. But scanning all the things we care about as accountants and bookkeepers is much more difficult. But so specifically though, I cannot speak to the HubDoc in zero, but Liz, can you? Yeah. So we use it all the time. Um, and I do have to say HubDoc is not the prettiest product, but it does function quite well for us and our clients like it because they're able to just email everything in and ignore it, right? Um, which I know is the functionality that happens in a lot of other softwares. But the integration between HubDoc and Zero has increased exponentially in the last two years, I would say. Um, and they're doing things like even reading out the the due dates better. So you can mark Instead of it being, okay, whatever date is on the invoice plus 30 days, you can mark that or you can mark like due upon receipt. You can change what the due dates are, which helps us from an AP standpoint because that was, I think, one of the issues. Um, and then it does it does duplicate recognition really well now. I saw that. Yeah, I had that. I finally experienced that and it worked yeah. and I was like, thank you. I know it was it was pretty awesome when that finally came through, right? Yeah. Um, but so I, I think you know at this point, zero is actually investing back into the HubDoc product. The integration is very strong. The only complaint I've ever really had is that it's ugly. But on the flip side, nobody's ever had a problem finding the documents inside of HubDoc, right? So if you're under audit or you know you need to find something really quick, it's a very easy interface to pull docs from. I think the key to using it is to set up your workflow properly, like to train your team on, on how to do things and in what order. Isn't that the key to everything, Blake? <laughs> I, guess it, I guess it is. That was kind of a, I mean, you, you think of that as like a given, but it's often not, right? Well, fair. So when I start my day as a bookkeeper, which I still am, right? I still consider myself to do that because I do it for myself. I, I'm a nerd and I have my own personal finances, you know, in zero and HubDoc and I do the Do you really? I do, yeah. Like you are a nerd. <laughs> this is how I stay. I have eight years now of like my own personal fi- income statement and statement of cash flows. Wow. And it's kind of fun to look at it, right? Change over time, net worth, all that. But let's set that aside. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, like the way HubDoc and Zero work is you really have to start with HubDoc every day and process that review queue down to zero. So that everything goes into zero and then you reconcile in zero because like this is the problem with this, the apps being separate right now is if you do stuff in zero, then you might realize, oh, there's a doc and hub doc. I've already reconciled it. Now I got to go unreconcile it and sync it. And right. It's like I think that confuses a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But if you if you do it in the right order, then then you're good. Yes. I, I think the uh, the thing that would make it great is if it was just all in one product. Right. If like you if they just took that receipt interface you know, a processing interface and put that into zero. Like that's the dream, right? I think that's. Yep. And you're right about the workflow. Cause I think that's like, I have to go over auto entry. You know, I have a lot of things auto publishing to QuickBooks yeah. online, but it's not, you know, I go to auto entry first. Oh, I, that it's a new, new bill, a new vendor. I have to make sure I add it. Boom, boom, boom. It gets over to QuickBooks. Then you go to QuickBooks, you go to your bank feed screen and then you match stuff up to your bank feeds. But why the built-in bill scanning that's in QuickBooks like it's not set up you're right in a workflow and I'm I'm guessing from your description of zero it's the same way right like it should be like step 1 deal with all your scans step 2 
open up your bank feed screen, and then it should be matching those after they got OCR'd. Yep. Or like in Zero, when you're reconciling uh, a bank feed, you know, or a bank account, and you you're matching transactions, like display a potential receipt that matches this transaction next to the uh, in that workflow. Right. Right. Don't make me do it separately. Yep. That's where they all need to go. But none of, I don't think anyone does that right now very well. Yeah. QuickBurst is kind of the opposite-ish. I think it's if you're if you're putting in something that's already scanned, if it thinks the transaction's already there, it'll augment it. And auto entry will do that. Like the, if they see a transaction already in, they'll augment it. Um, another one that so, does so that really well. Is, but I want to make sure I understand. So that, so if you've already matched a transaction, it's reconciled in your account. It'll add the receipt rather than creating a duplicate. Yeah, so, oh, that's uh, good. You can, you can you augment that. the transaction. The app that's really really ex- exceptional on that is there's an app called Greenback. And Greenback is not really for scanning and uploading, but they'll connect through the APIs to like Amazon. So what's nice about that is if I want all the details from Amazon purchases into QuickBooks or my Uber rides or whatever, I can go to Greenback, pick the transactions I want. They'll detect that the transactions are already there. And all they do is they just make it more robust. Now the image of the item I bought from Amazon is there, the full Amazon descriptions there, all the prices, and it pulls it all that detail and just slaps it into the existing transaction, which in theory is like the direction I think Intuit's always thought their V4 of an API would go with QuickBooks. Like developers and different apps could all have parts of transactions. They send them in and they QuickBooks would put them all together as one transaction before they post them to the GL. But that's, I think that's one of those, like, this is a great on a, a whiteboard somewhere, but building a vision like that could take a decade. Um, but then that would be all the accounting systems. You know, there's just all these pieces of data everywhere and, the accounting systems are the smart ones that put it all together into a, a real transaction or a full transaction. David, you mentioned earlier that we got a review. Should we read that before we go? Yeah. You want to read it? Must listen if you're in the biz. Blake and David do their homework. Their insights and intelligence make them the ultimate source for all things cloud accounting. That is from App Ninha via Apple Podcasts in the US. Five stars. Thank you so much, App Ninha. Yeah, thank you. Maybe it's supposed to be App Ninja. I'm not. I'm not sure. <laughs> a typo? Oh. Oh, could you? Yeah, you, you you set up your Apple account. You type, and then you mistype it, and then forever you have to keep that name now because probably changing that at Apple is probably impossible. Right. It probably was App Ninja. You're, well, you're right. Liz, thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with us this morning on a Saturday morning. Well, thanks for having me. Oh, it was great, and hope to see you again in person soon. If anyone wants to find out what you're up to, apply to work at High Rock, get in touch with you online, <laughs> like where, where can they do that? Uh, the easiest place to find me is on Twitter at Lizzie Norma. And then for High Rock, it's at High Rock CPAs and just send a direct message and we'll tell you how to get in contact for anything else. Yeah, especially if you want to give Liz money for what she's building, because uh, <laughs> I think I think I don't think we're allowed to publicly talk about that. Oh, say sorry, uh, <laughs> but I think seriously though, like more accounting firms need to build apps because we, you know, we know what the profession needs more than some random uh, product manager who's never done a debit or credit in their life. In my opinion, I absolutely agree with you. And David, if people want to follow you online, where should they go? I'm just at David Leary everywhere. If you get on LinkedIn, just say you're not a bot. And I am at Blake T. Oliver. Until next week, great chatting with you, Liz and David. Bye, everybody. Thanks, Liz. Bye. Thank you. Time for the classifieds. 
If you're looking to fast track a scalable seven-figure accounting firm without having to work a million hours a week, check out Ryan Lozanis' online coaching membership, Future Firm Accelerate. The Future Firm Accelerate program is designed around Ryan's experience of taking his own cloud firm from scratch to sale so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You'll get online learning and topics that help you automate and systemize all aspects of your firm, coaching when you need help with implementation, and you'll also join a collaborative community of hundreds of other forward-thinking accounting firm owners. For more details, head over to www.futurefirmaccelerate.com. That is futurefirmaccelerate.com. Are you an accountant or bookkeeper who wants to get the most out of Zero? Zero, a comprehensive guide for accountants and bookkeepers is available now. Author Amanda Aguilar shares eight years of experience using Zero in her own practice to connect the dots between accounting theory and software. See why Zero founder Rod Drury calls her a proven expert in getting the most out of the Zero platform and ecosystem. Buy it now on Amazon or through your local bookseller. I quickly wanted to let you know about a new project that I've been working on for the last year or so. I'm launching a podcast network called Accounting Podcast Network. It has new podcasts that I know you'll love, like the Accounting Salon Conversations podcast hosted by Amanda Aguilar and the Accounting Automation Workflows podcast co-hosted by Brian Clare and Heather Satterley. Head over to accountingpodcastnetwork.com. That's accountingpodcastnetwork.com. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.